Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Is there any relationship in your life in which you know you should be in unity and harmony with because they're a fellow believer? They're a Christian, but there's frustration there. There's turmoil. Maybe like David, you're good at denying it and kind of sweeping it out of the way and saying, well, I don't want to really even deal with that or think about it. But your mind keeps going back there. You need to monitor your heart. Because if that exists, you need to realize how serious a problem that is. Throughout life, we will meet people we enjoy being around others who we would rather steer clear of. Whether it's clashing personalities or fundamentally different perspectives and approaches to life, some people are just plain not easy to get along with. But today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is reminding us that if we're truly brothers and sisters in Christ, then we need to find ways to move past these conflicts. Well, here's Pastor Mike with the message titled, Moving from Frustration to Friendship. Unfortunately, there are several things about the Christian life that make it difficult. Jesus, you might remember, turned to his disciples and said, in this world, you'll have lots of fun, right? No, he says, you'll have tribulation. Then he said, you know, they hated me, and if they hated me, they're going to hate you. That doesn't set me up for any good feelings there, does it? He says, I'm going to make a new heart and put it inside of you. I'm going to put my spirit in you, but then your spirit is going to battle with the flesh. And you're going to have a constant conflict going on inside of you. He said, you know, you got an enemy and he's going to prowl around like a roaring lion and he's going to try and attack you. You start listing all those things one after the other and you realize there's a lot of stress and strain and conflict in the Christian life. As a matter of fact, Christian life's equated to... Uh, Battle. The Bible puts you in the position of a soldier or an athlete battling to survive. Now, I don't mean to sound defeatist. Of course, he says he overcomes the world and he'll give you victory over your flesh and he'll protect you from the enemy. But there's a lot of things that we have to learn to be comfortable with. We have to, we have to learn to tolerate the kind of inconveniences and the stress and the strain and conflict that exists in the Christian life. But there's one area in particular that God says, I want to make sure you never tolerate any kind of conflict, stress, or strain in because it's one area that I want to be different, completely different. I want it to be a little bit like what heaven's supposed to be like. I want it to be a place where there is something uniquely different, calm, peace, harmony. And Jesus said specifically, it's going to be your relationship with each other. He said, I want you to love each other so distinctively that the world looks at you and says, you must be followers of God. You must be followers of the divine one. You must be disciples of Christ. That's how firmly Christ held up the standard for us and said, live up to this high standard as it relates to your relationships. Relationships with the world, well, that's going to be conflict. Relationship with non-Christians, that's just not going to be harmony there. Relationship with, even with your own flesh is going to be conflict. But when it comes to my relationship with you and your relationship with me, we're supposed to have harmony. Matter of fact, the Bible says we ought to always have the kind of unity and agreement and peace 
that characterizes siblings at their best. That's what it ought to be like. It's the difference between my hands and my eyes. I tolerate a lot of things on my hands, calluses, dirt under the fingernails every now and then, splinter here and there, but I don't tolerate any of that in my eyes. As a matter of fact, I can go all day with a little something under my fingernails, but I can't go all day with something in my eye. I gotta deal with that and I gotta deal with it quickly. There'll be a lot of things that are going to annoy us and frustrate us in this world because we're different. We're Christians. We're children of the king. But one thing that should not ever become an annoyance, something that should never be tolerated as a conflict, something that should never be allowed to be strained is our relationship with each other. And the Bible says that needs to be priority one, that you get along with each other so perfectly that the world says that's so different and so distinct. If you have your Old Testament, I'd like you to open it up to 2 Samuel chapter 14. I want to give you an example of a godly man who is in his life doing many things that are quite exemplary. But in this particular chapter, we see him doing something and tolerating something that none of us should ever tolerate. Conflict. Conflict in a relationship with someone who claimed to be loving and serving the same God that he did. As a matter of fact, it was his own son. They shared so much in common, and yet David allowed his relationship with Absalom to deteriorate. He allowed there to be conflict and turmoil in his heart as it related to his own son, and he didn't deal with it. As a matter of fact, he was expert at putting it off and trying to say it'll take care of itself, just denying that the problem even existed. But it did exist. And it existed because you might remember the context. Absalom, who was at this particular time the oldest son that he has, had killed his firstborn son, Amnon. And if you look back up at chapter 13, you'll be reminded that he killed Amnon because Amnon had raped his half-sister, Tamar. And David and the kingdom didn't do anything about it. So two years after his sister was raped, Absalom took justice in his own hands and he had his brother murdered. And Benny did that. When he did that, he realized, Dad's not going to prove this. I'm not going to get along very well with him. So he took off, packed his bags, and he left for another country. So now the oldest son of the king, the heir apparent, the one who should be in the process of being groomed for the throne of Israel, is living in another country, banished from the kingdom. And it was a relationship that in David's heart was strained. It was filled with stress. Look at it in verse number one. Joab, the top-ranking official in David's army, the commander of David's armed forces, knew that the king's heart was for Absalom. Now, if you have an NIV, it says his heart longed for Absalom. Unfortunately, the NIV is much clearer than the original text. The original text simply says his heart was toward Absalom. And I really struggled early in the week with the ambiguity of the grammar of this sentence. It was like, well, what does that mean? Not clear. Does that mean he, he was favorable toward him or does that mean he was hostile in his heart toward him? And I think the more I study this, that it's purposefully ambiguous. And though our English translators try to clear it up that he had some affection for Absalom, the text is not clear at all. As a matter of fact, his actions later seem to deny that. But I can only imagine that as his father, he had feelings of compassion for his son. But those were in turmoil with other feelings that he had about what his son had done, and there was conflict. 
And you might want to translate it this way. The king's mind was on Absalom. We don't know exactly what was on his mind, but I'm sure it was a series of conflicting thoughts. Sometimes it was, I want to be with my son. And sometimes it was, I can't believe my son did that. I, I, I don't ever want to see him again. And here was this turmoil. Taking notes this morning, and I hope that you are, the first thing I'd like you to jot down, and it's therefore in your outline, at least the first word, is that we need to learn to monitor our heart because that's where the conflict always starts. And if there is conflict in our relationships with other Christians, it's going to be evident there. Sometimes you can cover it up, but sometimes, like in David's life, it just spills out. It spills out and people see it. They know that we have a problem with that person. And there was turmoil in David's heart. His mind was on Absalom. And if you brought up Absalom's name in David's presence at this time, it would probably knot his stomach up a little bit. And he, he would feel frustrated about Absalom. Oh, Absalom, what am I going to do with Absalom? And Joab saw it. And he saw that his heart, his mind, his spirit was all twisted up. And he was frustrated about that relationship. Question for you. Is there any relationship in your life? in which you know you should be in unity and harmony with because they're a fellow believer, they're a Christian, but there's frustration there, there's turmoil. Maybe like David, you're good at denying it and kind of sweeping it out of the way and saying, well, I don't want to really even deal with that or think about it, but your mind keeps going back there. And if someone brings up the name of that person, then there's that feeling of that knot in your stomach, that frustration, that unsettled feeling that it's just not right with that person. You drive by the neighborhood where they live and you go, mm, uh, you see the car the, that they drive, you know, going down the street and you think, oh, there's, there's, there's that thought, that person. It's uneasy, it's unsettled. You need to monitor your heart. Because if that exists, you need to realize how serious a problem that is. If you feel that kind of turmoil in your heart about a person that shares the same God that you do, then you need to recognize what a serious situation that is. Keep your finger here. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. In the New Testament, toward the end of the New Testament, you'll find the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to look carefully at the warning that's here about what goes on in our heart as it relates to other people. And God is very specific through the pen of this particular writer in the New Testament. He wants us to recognize that there is some kind of turmoil in our heart that can spring up and cause all kinds of trouble. And I like the choice of words here. Context in verse 14, if you're there, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, reiterates the truth that we see all over the New Testament. We're to Make every effort to live in peace, and not just with Christians, but with all men if we possibly can. And then he speaks to one of the problems in attaining that kind of peace and harmony, and it's in the bottom of verse 15. Look at it. He says, see to it that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. No bitter root, and really in the Greek language, it's a noun, not so much of an adjective. It deals with, with bitterness, Make sure you don't look in your heart and find any bitterness in there toward anybody. And in English, much like in Greek, the word is really about a taste. I mean, bitterness is a, is a taste. And it describes well the, the thoughts and the feelings that we have. Sometimes we have this sour, bitter thought, and it just, we just know it's not right. That person that's coming to mind that you don't get along too well with, if it brings up that kind of sour feeling, if you have that 
taste in your mind of, it isn't right. That person just, it kind of annoys me. And I know there's tension there and there's a strained relationship and I recognize it. It's, it's bitterness. And look again at what that bitterness does. It can grow up and cause trouble. And look at this last phrase, defile many. I, perhaps like many of you, have had front row seats to a church split. I was just a kid at the time, but I was old enough to see this thing erupt. And I recognize in watching this church disintegrate that I was a part of, that it did cause trouble. It defiled many. There were people that that said, if that's what Christianity is about, I don't want anything to do with it. Christians disenchanted with what the church is supposed to be all about. People taking five, ten steps backwards in their Christian life. But I recognize that that big defilement of all those people and that huge loss of reputation in that community, it started because a few people had bitterness in their heart. There was some unresolved sour feelings that that John had for Jim. And if Jim was going to be sour at John, then Sally certainly wasn't getting along with Betty. and, And it just spread. And the bitterness... And the unreconciled problems continued to grow, but it all started with a bitter feeling in the heart. The turmoil, the the frustration about that person that was never dealt with, it was allowed to grow and breed and it became disaster. And I don't mean to threaten you with your bitterness that it's going to result in a church split, but you've got to recognize the warnings here, isn't it? It does grow and it does cause trouble. And it can defile many people, and so we need to attend to it. The warning is there. Don't let it happen. See to it that none of that exists in your heart. So you got to keep a watch on your heart. you got to look through those faces and names in your mind and say, any one of those people that claim the name of Christ, that I fellowship with, that I go to Bible study with, that I know and they know that I'm a Christian and I know that they're Christian, is there anyone on that list that I get those sour feelings about? Is there anybody that just tweaks my conscience and makes my heart feel bad? If there is, then you've got work to do because we need to deal with that. David wasn't dealing with it and back to our passage now, so Joab had to deal with it. Joab said, I got to do something about this. I can't have the king and his son estranged from one another. Now, I don't think Joab's motives were entirely pure. He had a political kingdom to take care of and I'm sure he had mixed motives for doing what he was about to do but he said we got to do something to get these two back together so he goes in verse number two to send someone to Tekoa and had a wise woman the drama teacher at the local high school brought up from Tekoa and he says would you pretend to be in mourning dress in mourning clothes and off he goes and giving her how she ought to look and what she ought to say and he is going to put on this ruse he's going to put on this drama this little show for the king and try and present a case to the king that he would rule on that would ultimately parallel that story with his own life and so he does and there are three basic elements to the story Let me just summarize it for you. She presents a story as a widow in which her children are involved in homicide. One child kills the other. But the homicide has mitigating factors. There are extenuating circumstances. This was not just a a robber killing another person out of malice. This was two brothers. And the intention and the assumption is the intention wasn't there to murder. It just got out of hand and no one was there to break up this scuffle. And someone got hit in the right place with the right thing and they died. 
So it's a homicide with some mitigating factors. And then the next thing is, she presents to the king that if justice is carried out to the letter of the law, the ramifications of that would be huge. In other words, if my son is convicted as a murderer and he is given justice, which is execution, it will snuff out my entire line. My family will no longer have an heir. My relatives, distant relatives, will come in and split my entire inheritance and I'll be left with nothing. So there's a homicide with mitigating circumstances. There is, if justice is carried out, huge and grave ramifications if someone follows the letter of the law. And then thirdly, the third element of her story is, King, would you please show some compassion? Could you invoke some mercy and some compassion and some grace? And could you protect my son? Could you relieve this penalty and give him some lenience? And it works. Look in the bottom of verse 11. David's response, as surely as Yahweh lives, he says, as surely as God lives, not one hair of your son's head will fall to the ground. Total protection. Got the king's word on it. And she does it. Joab, through this woman, puts on such a story with the same paralleling factors that makes David really guilty of the same charge. And that's what she says. Two verses later, verse 13. Woman said, why then, if that's the way you feel, if a murder with mitigating circumstances and the penalty being too grave and too far-reaching, and you show mercy and compassion in that case, why wouldn't you do that in your own case? She says, why then have you devised such a thing like this against the people of God? When the king says this, does he not convict himself? For the king has not brought back his banished son. Now, what's the case? Absalom, your son, killed Amnon, your other son. But why did he do it? It wasn't just a, a murder. It was a homicide with some mitigating factors. Is not in Israel the penalty for rape, murder, execution rather? Shouldn't the, the rapist be executed? Well, that is the law of God. But no one in the kingdom did that. So when Absalom killed Amnon, this wasn't just your normal murder. And by the way, by leaving him banished and out of the kingdom, don't we leave ourselves as a nation open to all kinds of insurrection and rebellion? Isn't it true that if the heir apparent, the eldest son of the ruling monarchy, lives outside the nation of Israel and we don't bring him back, if you leave him in that state and you're really firm on his punishment and keeping him out of the kingdom, won't we have problems? Oh, you've got other heirs. We can stick someone else on the throne. But Absalom is going to rise up at some point and realize he has the rightful leadership and sovereignty of the nation. We're going to have conflict. We're going to have civil war. We're going to have all kinds of a mess on our hand. So if you king want to be firm against your son Absalom for killing Amnon, you got problems. The penalty seems too severe. And so she brings in the bottom line. Can't you show mercy and compassion in this case? Can't you show some compassion and leniency? And can't we get over this murder and put him back in Israel? And can't we just save the whole monarchy in that, in that one act of compassion? And then she brings God into this, bottom of verse 14. She says, God isn't like that, is he? He doesn't always judge according to the letter of law in this life. Instead, look at the bottom of verse 14. Doesn't he devise ways so that a banished person, a guilty person, may not remain estranged from him? Isn't that kind of God, the God that we have? And can you imagine how that would resonate in David's heart? Oh, my goodness. Is that how God acts? 
I guess so. You know, I've committed adultery, which in Israel was also a capital offense. I've murdered, in essence, strategized to kill the gal's husband. I am an adulterer and a murderer, and those both deserve death, and yet God has come in in grace and compassion, and he salvaged my life and even salvaged my kingdom. Oh, it's filled with all kinds of bloody consequences from my sin, but I'm still here. God has been gracious to me. And the punchline of this whole entire ruse is, can't you act like God? Can't you do what God has done for you? Can't you respond to your son who has done wrong in your eyes the same way your heavenly father has treated you? He's done for you some incredibly compassionate, merciful things, and now you're holding your son to a whole different standard than that. Can't you be lenient? If you're taking notes, be sure and jot this down. When it comes to the problems that we have in the body of Christ, when so-and-so offends me, when that person's been insensitive to me, when they've hurt my feelings and wronged me, and they treated me badly, and that's why I'm angry, would you realize that the high calling of God in the Bible is that you and I, number two, act like God? That's what God's calling us to do. Because God doesn't act the way that we act when we hold our grudges and keep distance between us and the person that wrongs us. And David had that colorfully displayed before his eyes through this incredible drama that was played out with a story that convicted him of his dealings with his own son that was so incomparable and so inconsistent with the way that God had treated him. And you know, that's a wonderful way for us to think through our relationships. Jot the reference down. You don't have to turn there, but in Colossians chapter 3, it's as clear as it can be in the Bible. The Bible says that we as Christians are to forgive each other whatever grievance we may have against one another. Forgive each other just as the Lord forgave you. Whenever we're called to forgive each other in the Bible, it's not too far from the Bible reminding us that we've been forgiven so much. Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You're listening to Focal Point and a message from pastor, author, and Bible teacher, Mike Fabares, called Moving from Frustration to Friendship. For more teaching from Pastor Mike or to share this message with a friend, visit focalpointradio.org. You can also download the Focal Point mobile app and listen on the go. We're so grateful for those of you in our listening audience who give to support this Bible teaching program so that we never have to put Pastor Mike's messages behind a paywall. Here's a recent comment we received from Susan, who listens to Focal Point on One Place. She said, Thank you so much, Focal Point and Pastor Mike Fabares. Your uplifting, insightful, and interesting messages are a true blessing. I share them with my daughter as well. Thank you. Well, if you've been strengthened and equipped through this program like Susan, will you partner with us to reach even more people this year? You can join the mission right now by calling 888-320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. To say thanks for your support today, we'd like to send you a book written by Pastor Mike called Lifelines for Tough Times. If you've ever wondered why God allows suffering, or if He even cares at all, I think you'll be encouraged and strengthened through the stories, personal experiences, and biblical teaching Mike shares in this book.
Just call 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. Or go to focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. By the way, if you've never let us know you're listening before, today's a great day to connect. When you do, we're going to send you a special gift, a CD message from Pastor Mike's Lifelines for Tough Times series. It's called God's Presence and Help When You Hurt. Request your free CD when you call 888-320-5885 or find it online at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Thursday as we continue the message, Moving from Frustration to Friendship, right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.